The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and this week's guest is the 2021 NFBC Main Event Overall Champion, Phil Dussault. Phil, thanks for joining me, man. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, James? I am doing great. Uh, excited to have you back on. Um, so I, I know that you're, you know, you've started drafting. You've done a couple of your Champions League qualifier, uh, two thirds of it, right? I, yeah, I, I'm uh, about done. halfway through my DC, and uh, my OC is done. Uh, I didn't pick the best night to do it. I did it when uh, when everything went crazy with the NFBC. So I was drafting and looking at Twitter and Discord at the same time. So it was a little bit distracting, but I kind of figured, I realized that I can still multitask like I did last year where I can chat and draft at the same time. So um, it was good practice for uh, for live uh, draft season in March. Yeah, if you're going to be multitasking, I guess the OC is the one to do it for. Yeah, good thing is I was, I was picking first. So... Uh, well, luckily I got Acuna and also just made it easier uh, just to make back-to-back picks and then could look around Twitter to see if if uh, if everything was good was still uh, was still going smoothly and if my my, my draft would still mean anything uh, two months from now. But looks like <laughs> looks like it will. So, <laughs> well, let's sa- save the thoughts on Acuna. Um, we'll get there in a second. But uh, yeah, did you did you have anything anything else you wanted to share just about how those first uh, couple of drafts went like any did you did you try to make it even more boring than than usual with it being a, a clq with anything you want to uh, kind of share about your, your pre-draft um, or what players you ended up with the oc i kind of went a separate route because i know my um my default i guess my default drafting setting in my brain is to play it safe uh so if i'm drafting a main event I always try to go safer go for playing time uh, and I know if, when I get to know C, I need to take more risk because replacement value is so high that you can afford to take risk. So uh, when it came to pitching, I had no problem taking Chris Sale, Justin Verlander, Charlie Morton, the old guys that were falling. Um, so I figure if they're healthy in spring, they're going to move up. If they're not, well, it's an OC, so I can find replacements. Uh, and same thing with the hitting, especially late in the draft. Um, I know the past few years I've been short on power. So I see Tyler O'Neill sitting there late. I see Giancarlo Stanton. I'm like, never drafted Stanton, but like late in an OC 
for power, he might be healthy for a month or for two months. And I'll, I take those, I don't know, 10 home runs and then drop him if I have to. Um, so it's the kind of picks I was trying to make. Um, with my last pick of the draft, I was, I wish, I wish I was you. And I wish I had you in my mind just to tell me which prospect to take that could move up. Um, had a couple names in names in mind with Colt Keith and Tyler Black, and they, they both went. Uh, so I was just sitting there. Finally, I took Julio Arias. I'm like, I, I know it's not going to do anything, but it's the only name. Even Trevor Bauer was gone. So I'm like, uh, I don't know what to do. Like either take a boring pitcher that I know I'm going to drop or take a really wild gamble and someone that might not be suspended for whatever reason because MLB can be, can be unpredictable. So um, I know I'll be dropping in probably that first fab before season even starts but at least i kind of followed my my pattern of, of trying to be um a little bit more bold with these picks in the oc so we'll see what happens but i i do like the team and acuna does let's give an edge we'll talk about him a little bit later but uh it it's it's good to start a draft with him so good good for people at home um to you know that you know that you can use those last spots in an oc on guys you might drop and you know that you should be prepared with a an idea of which players to look for at those spots yeah. so that you're not ended up with Julio Urias. <laughs> I had about 45. I, I, I kind of, um, I hadn't planned to do my OC. And then I saw the room, uh, a couple of names that I, especially one name that I, I, I won't name, but I was somewhat targeting someone I've been in drafts before and he, he tends to give up on, on the season at times. So um, I, I just felt like it was the good, good time to jump in. I had about 45 minutes to an hour to get ready. Uh, and then about 30 minutes before the draft, the NFBC thing happened. So that 45 minutes to an hour dropped to about 30 minutes. Um, so I, I was ready for most of it, uh, but not for the end. So uh, definitely don't do what I did at, at uh, with the end game. You, you, I know people can do better than that, or they can just pull up your your rankings, James, and do, do something better than I did. <laughs> so are you... Uh just doing a bunch of work when you're on the clock in this DC or, or how's that going? Um, I mean, my, my draft sheet is ready. Um, so with, with this DC and I, I've, I've got some, some, a list of, of late prospects I'm targeting, targeting, uh, but that's for like rounds 35 and 40 plus. Um, I mean, the guys who won in the last five rounds of an OC aren't guys who won in a DC. Um, from rounds, I don't know, 25 to 35 in a DC, I'm still going boring. I just want playing time. I want innings. Um, so it's 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 like a completely opposite, uh, different mindset. Um, so I was I was ready for the DC. My sheet is ready for that. Uh, but and I mean, I'll I'll look up some names. Like one names uh, actually we'll talk about him later. So I, I won't name him, but um, he's a guy that's at the top of my sheet. And just doing quick research, I'd rather not draft him at this point. So I'm kind of I'm I'm still tweaking things and so on. And um, I'm not have done all my research, not ready to pick in within five seconds. Like I will be in, in March, but um, I'm still, I'm, I'm pretty ready. Um, are you, are you gonna, um, oh shoot, I forgot what I was gonna say. Um, okay, so did you wanna like talk about anything about the Champions League format at all? Um, I know that like, Toby's kind of the hype man for that on, on Twitter, but um, I know we just kind of discussed it without even really yeah. explaining yeah. necessarily. But 
So for those that don't know, it's a new format that the NFBC um, is doing this year that Toby uh, came up with. And we, we kind of helped them, myself, Steve Weimer, and, and Rob DiPietro helped them uh, tweak it a little bit. Uh, so basically, you buy a package. You get one main event, one online championship, and one draft champions. Um, those three usually add up to $2,250. Uh, so there's an extra $250 that goes towards the Champions League uh, pot. Um, and then basically the, the way that the standings work is if there's 150 people, uh, it's basically 30 categories and you're going to be ranked one to 50. So getting between 150 and one point in those 30 categories, uh, and then those points add up and the top 15 teams, uh, will qualify for the champions league next year. And we'll be doing a live auction in Vegas. Um, what I love about it and what, what Greg loves about it as well is that even in, in the high stakes league, whether it's main event, even the platinum, the diamond, uh, usually those those higher stakes league, it's the people that can afford it, but you're not necessarily getting the better players. And I think in this Champions League, um, the fact that it's three leagues uh, put together, we're going to get, I think, the best players. Um, so just have to, having 15 of the best players sitting at the same table in an auction in Vegas next year. Um, will just be amazing because I don't think we've ever really seen that. Um, so um, I, I think that auction is going to be pretty, is going to be pretty special. And even uh, Mike Mager was tweeting about it today. He's like, I'm feeling extra pressure making these picks for my Champions League qualifier DC because it's not a regular DC. You want that specific DC to do well. So um, and I've, I've, I'm feeling it also as I'm doing my DC and I did, as I did my OC. Um, and I guess from from my part, I'm I'm kind of feeling pressure to qualify because um, I, I know people talk about me and um, they they think I'm I'm a good player. So if, if I don't qualify, I feel like I'll well first I'll let myself down. Uh, but I feel like I feel like I always feel like despite the year I had in 2021, the results I've had, I always feel like I have to back up what I've done to to remain um, one of the best players. So um, feel like this is a chance to prove it and. I, I, I want to be at that table next year. Well, I want to be at that table too, but I, I feel, I feel no pressure. And, uh, <laughs> I think, I think I might've been the first person to do my CLQ DC. Uh, yeah. Not a hundred percent sure on that, but I just jumped into the first room I could find. Um, just cause I like doing those earlier in the calendar than, than later. Yeah. But, um, well, you're, yeah, you're well, usually ready. Uh, but you're more ready than most at, at, at that at that time of year, so it, I think it's a good time to take advantage of, of your skills. I should be more ready. Like I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any excuse to not be as more ready. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Did you time your um? Did you time the DC start or, or at least the OC to try to beat any of the projection systems that got released in the past like week or so? um no honestly it's i finished my 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 system and i think two days later i jumped in because i was just craving to draft i hadn't drafted yet and i'm like ah, and i i only do one uh 150 dc and this is the one i signed up for a thousand dollar dc that i'll do i'll do later but um i just I, it's it's I, I wish it was a better story more strategic but i just wanted to draft so the for the first room i liked i, I jumped in um and i i like the team so far so uh, hopefully, hopefully the last 26 or so rounds go, go well. Okay. So I mentioned, I wanted to talk about Acuna. Um, just kind of curious, like, you know, this is probably, I think the biggest sort of pre 
season edge that I can recall there being for the number one player. Um, you know, obviously, if you were, if we all knew that like Jacob DeGrom and his prime was just going to be healthy for the whole season, like obviously, sure. But um, like I can't recall a, a, a hitter at least being like this far away ahead of the pack. Uh, and so I was just kind of curious if you think this edge that he has is great enough for it to impact, you know, how many times you're entering a certain contest, like, would you want to keep getting entries until you had a team that picked first, or would you maybe kind of cut off your entries into a contest if you do get that first overall pick, because you already have a Cunha team? Um, like, do you think they're, you know, in like a 15 team league, theoretically before any picks are made, every team's got like a, six and two thirds chance of winning the league. Would you say like the Acuna team automatically starts off at like 7% or like 8%? Like what, what type of edge do you think uh, we're talking about here with getting that first overall pick? All right. So I've got data for you and I've got questions for you. Um, <laughs> so last year, Acuna, the main event, uh, the win rate for Acuna teams was 17%. Um, cash rate was 34%. Um, so that's about the cash rate is about, uh, sorry, the win rate about 2.5 times the norm and the cash rate 1.7 times, uh, what we'd expect. Um, per my numbers, he had a, he had 14 SGP more than was expected at his ADP, which was one overall. Um, the interesting thing in 2022 judge had a 16.4 edge in ADP. Um, so Judge wasn't as good, but because he was a fourth round pick, I believe um, the edge compared to where he was drafted was bigger than Acuna's was last year. Um, last year, there were three pitchers that had between nine and 10 SGP more um, than where they were drafted. Any guesses who those pitchers are? Okay, so how, how many? There's three of them that beat their their ADP by between nine and 10 SGP. There were the three pitchers that beat their, their ADP. Uh, they're not... Fab guys or not, they were actually they were drafted in all main events and they beat their their ADP by um the most SGP. Um I know I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> was uh let's see, was Pablo Lopez one? No, they were all going around picked uh probably 250, 300. Oh, okay, okay. sorry. Um geez. I mean I know Bradish was kind of going around there. Yeah, he's one of them. Uh, oh, Justin Steele. Yeah, and then the other one with the uh, with the Rays. Oh, Eflin. Yeah. So, um, so those three were between nine and ten. Acuna was fourteen, but um, and their with the win rates uh, for these three guys average about eighteen percent, and their cash rate was thirty eight percent. So um, the teams that drafted one of those guys actually did better than the Acuna teams. Um, so yes, it's, I mean, the win rates and cash rates don't mean that much. It is a small sample, but, um, it kind of just told me that there's, if you just get one, one home run pick later, you're making up for the Acuna edge. Um, also even looking back at previous years, Blake Stone, his Cy Young year, um, had 15.7. So a little bit more than Acuna had this year. And Justin Verlander in 2019 had about the same as Acuna had this year. So, um, Going back to Acuna, the reason it's such a 
hot topic is because he's the first overall pick and there's only one team that gets the chance to draft him and it's based on luck uh one out of 15 chance basically uh the way the nfbc does kds um so personally i'm not worried about it because i know i can um i can make it up elsewhere um is it yes it's a big edge um if i look at my my own projections um yes acuna is number one uh but i'd be willing to argue that strider is pretty close um and there is even hitters that are closer to number one that than i'd expect uh than i expected before so i know that the projection systems that are out there with, with steamer and the bat they've got a cunha with it with a huge edge uh and if you're going by those then guessing the edge is probably even more than eight percent could be even nine or ten percent but um personally i'm not worried about it um i got him in i in my oc which is cool but i'm i mean i've got a set number of fab leagues that i'm willing to do uh a set number of lineups that i'm I'm willing to do. Um, if I had time to set 20 lineups and I've, I I was doing, I don't know, 10, 150 DCs, then I might go up to 11 or 12, hoping to get one share at least because it's no Rollins big contest. And if he goes nuts like he did last year, um, you want him in your lineup. But um, in my case, it won't, it won't affect anything. And I'm, I, I, I was kind of happy. I mean, the, the, the data I gave you about, but those guys, old Bradish still um, Snell a few years ago, it kind of convinced me that, um, there's it i mean it, it's the they've said this before but it's the great thing about uh fantasy baseball it's 27 weeks it's 23 players even if your first round pick gets hurt it you just need one good pick in rounds 15 20 25 and you can make up what you lost with your first round pick um so it's it's what i love about the game uh and if, if you don't make that one great pick you can chip away at it uh by making good picks so um I'm not worried about it. And I, I hope that people don't overreact and want to do a third round reversal or anything crazy like that. Cause it's, it's one player and it's one year. And it, I mean, it's, he could slow down a little bit and not steal quite as much. Like there's, there's so many things that can happen that I'm, I'm not worried about, about it. Yeah. I, I like that answer a lot. Um, I, I mean, I definitely would be vehemently against third round reversal. And I like that. Uh, I mean, Obviously, hitting on any player in that 250 to 300 range is great, but um, hitting on a an SP1 in that range, it just yeah. unlocks it unlocks your whole roster basically. Like you just get that extra SP1 for for basically nothing. Um, and I think one of the things like um, the reason why their their win rate in cash was higher than Acuna, I think, because if you hit on that SP1 late. Um, it's it's one less bench spot that you have to use on possible streaming a pitcher. You don't have to. You don't need four guys for your last two spots. You might just need two guys for one spot. So those those bench those bench spots that it, that it opens up um, allows you to stream hitters to speculate on a closer. So even though that specific player's edge wasn't as good as as Acuna or as, as another hitter, um, it it opens up other things that aren't shown in numbers but once once you play you realize how big those guys are that 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 you hit on on late in the draft is there also like a skill element of like the teams with Eflin, Bradish, Steele, 
obviously did something right to come to the conclusion that drafting those guys was a good idea. So you might yeah. be dealing with like a smarter average manager based on the teams that took those guys. Yeah, it definitely could be. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's always hard to, quant- I know uh, Tanner with the the process has been trying to, it's been it's brought that up. He's trying to kind of quantify it, but it's so hard. And he, he, the point he made about, about judge uh, last year, despite the huge edge, um, the average um, really good player in the NFBC is usually looking more at starting pitching in that range. Um, and it doesn't mean anything. There's good players that go for hitting in that range, but just typically he wasn't a player that um, most of the top NFBC players were targeting. So that the win rate and cash rate for, for judge teams was a lot lower than, I not the exact number. It was a lot lower than uh, we might expect it based on the season he had. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, uh, I had zero judge that year. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was for a lot of reasons. Um, okay. So, uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about multi-position eligibility, um, lately and, uh, I didn't, I don't have like a great question to like start off a conversation with you about it necessarily, but I, I just, I remember, I think uh, Dylan White mentioned something about just the edge um, that he experienced like in season with the guys that had uh, dual eligibility on the, the Slack uh, main event overall yeah. winner. And it really uh, like hit home with me, like just anecdotally, I was thinking back to like my best teams from last year and they just had a lot of guys that you could move around um and obviously we know that it's better to have multiple positions than just one position um and the guy that really stands out to me is Luis Renjifo this year um I think Zach McKinstry might have the same eligibility as him there might be another guy or two that are just going super late that might have this eligibility but Renjifo is uh, the guy with the sort of highest ADP that has um, four positions eligible, second base, third base, shortstop, outfield. So he's got the corner, middle, and the outfield, both uh, middle spots. Um, so, like, I think Luis Renjifo, not only does he have the best positional eligibility of, like, guys who are being drafted in every league, um, but, like, projections don't don't hate him necessarily. Like, um, you know, he – if you just gave me his any of his projections and said Renhifo is going to play all year, I think he's a screaming value where he's going right now. Um, so I don't know if you have any just overarching thoughts on positional yeah. eligibility, or if you just want to kind of jump straight to like Renhifo and whether or not you're projecting him for everyday at bats. Yeah. So specifically for Renhifo, um, I took him in my DC uh, at pick two forty seven which I believe might've been a little bit after ADP. Um, but yeah, I mean, he played 43 of the last 44 games last year before he got hurt. Um, I know at that time he had a bunch of injuries, but I think we kind of expect the angels to have injuries again. Um, and he's been an above average hitter. I think uh, WRC plus the last two years, something like one, no five and then one fourteen. So, I mean, it'd be crazy for the angels not to play a guy who can play pretty much every position and who's an, an above average major, major league hitter. Um, 
So I'm pretty confident he's going to play. I don't know where exactly, but that's the great thing about being able to play so many positions. They can move around. They can find a spot uh, for him. Um, as far as general strategy, I'll usually bump them up. Um, so basically, if what, what I'll do is if, say, in the top, um, say the top 380p, uh, if there's, I don't know, 12% of hitters that have multi-position, I'll make sure that in my top 60 players that I target, I have at least 12%. because I think multi-position is worth at least what the market is is giving it value for. And I think a little bit more. So I just want to be a little bit more than the market. So um, I'll want seven or eight of those guys um, um, in my top 60. Um, if it's not enough, then I'll bump, I'll bump them up 0. 0.25, 0. 0.5 SGP, whatever. Uh, if just naturally my numbers love, love a lot of multi-position, I'm like, oh, I don't have to bump them up this year uh, just because I naturally like um, a lot of them. Uh, the reason I don't want to be too high compared to the market is because if you get five of them, then there's no point. Uh, Diminishing like returns. The, yeah, the extra two aren't worth that much. You're just moving guys around between whether you put Renhifo at second and your other guy at third, or you just switch them back and forth. I mean, they're both in the real lineup. So the second guy having multi-position isn't worth it. So I'll bump them up just enough so that I have uh, the, the, the few that I like. Um, one of the questions that comes up often is, is it more valuable in a fab league or in a DC? Um, I think it's about the same. Um, I'd say for the first 15 rounds, it's the same. Uh, once they get to around 16 to 30, then they're more valuable in the DC because in the main, there's a chance you'll drop the player in the DC. You have them all year. So, um, as far as Renhifo, I think he's still in the range where in the main, you kind of expect to hold on to him for most of the year. Uh, but I might, I might not bump him up as much as I would for our DC. Uh, but like whether, um, trying to think of a name with multi-position early in draft, uh, Mookie Betts, um, the bump up they give Mookie in a DC in a main, uh, it should be the same in my mind. Uh, and I think for those top guys, it's worth a lot more because that guy's been on your roster all year and just having the ability to, especially in, in, in a foul league, it's, it, uh, well, in a DC, it affects your, I like it because it affects your strategy for the rest of the draft because um, whether, because you don't know whether a pick 350, you're going to have a chance to draft a good outfielder, a good second baseman or um, whatever. So having that guy at the top, and the Fab League, it also affects the rest of the draft because uh, you don't know. I mean, you can have a plan. You can say, I love these three second basemen in that range or these four or five outfielders, but uh, there can be a run. There can be adjustments. So I think the value in draft is also um, something that's kind of understated, but um, definitely in season with, with Fab as well. Just it, how many, I mean, I'm sure you've had teams as well like this where um, you, I mean, you end up with three really good third basemen out of nowhere because guys had a breakout. There's someone in your league that made a bad job. You don't want to pass up a player. Um, so you pick them up in fab, and then all of a sudden you got too many third basemen, and uh, it's covering your your uh, third base CI and UT spot. And then sometimes you might even have an extra one that you can't play, that you can't pick up. So um, having the ability to move guys around is, is useful, but you don't want to go crazy because at the end of the day, it's about – getting the best players multi-position that you're going to drop or that's going to be sitting on your bench is useless. So um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. I always try to have a couple to just at least have the option to move guys around, but sometimes the, the draft just doesn't go that way.
And I think it kind of comes with with experience, with feeling, with knowing when when to when to push up a guy when you need it. If you don't have a single one in round twelve, um, and you're close between two or three players, you might I might reach down a little bit down my list just to get uh, more option to give myself more options in fab and, and later in the draft. Yeah, I mean it would it would definitely be a third baseman if I was going to have three <laughs> position. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean I think like like Gunnar Henderson's a a fascinating guy for that because um, he's got the middle corner, and he's kind of going yeah. in a r- range where like you're you're comparing him against you know ten guys, eight guys, um, and his ADP's actually gotten uh, lower if I recall um, since like November, December. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I think I remember seeing him around 30 and I was down to at least the, the, I think I have the last 12 DCs down to 35. Yep. Yep. That's the exact kind of data I was uh, referencing there. Um, okay. So I just, before uh, I talk with Phil about punting a category, I do just want to um, let everyone know that on the, this YouTube channel, if you're watching on YouTube, this uh, Rotowire uh, official YouTube channel is going to be uh, our baseball only channel here um, in the next uh, couple weeks or so. I think they're going to launch a football YouTube channel ahead of the NFL draft. Uh, so please subscribe to the, the Rotowire YouTube channel uh, if you like watching our baseball videos. I uh, greatly appreciate that. Uh, and then, uh, Subscribe to roadwire.com. Come hang out on the Discord channel, roadwire.com slash chat. Um, you can send me a question on there whenever you want. Uh, really appreciate you signing up for Roadwire this time of year. Uh, great time to sign up. Um, Dynasty content, redraft content, got you all covered. All right, Phil. So I know that you were, um, well, you cashed in the main event last year. Um, and I think you were maybe the only team or one of like two teams that cashed that had uh, even fewer saves than I had. I think I was like in the <laughs> low forties maybe. Um, and I think you, you basically just, you did, I don't think you punted in the draft, but you did just fully kind of punt in the season. Um, Ryan Helsley. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ryan Helsley. <laughs> Well, yeah, let's just talk about – so that team, You did you just go Helsley and then just you took some specs that didn't pan out basically? or Yeah, I had uh, yeah, I had Helsley and then I think I took some shots late in the draft. I, uh, did I, have, I don't think I had – I think I picked up Hendri- Liam Hendricks, at least the first fab. Um, or I, I had Hendricks on most of my team. So I think it – I don't remember if I had him on this team specifically. But, um, yeah, it was shots late in the draft. They didn't work out. Um, Helsley barely got any saves early in the year. And then I took some shots on um, Jason Foley at one point. Um, I think a Colorado closer. Uh, but like by the end of June, there's two things. The rest of my team was pretty good, but I lost Drew Rasmussen. Uh, I think at Scherzer, who wasn't doing that good. Um, so like I knew the rest of the team wasn't good enough to win an overall. Um, if I'd kept going after saves, I would have spent uh, 300 bucks in fab and using roster spots. I knew if I used that, the rest of my pitching, my hitting wasn't good enough. Um, so I figured this is the time 
I think late June, I took some shots and then Halsey got her. I'm like, okay, this isn't working. This isn't an overall winning team. So um, let's just focus on the league. So uh, I dropped Halsey when he got hurt. Um, I dropped all my other specs. And when I do that, the way I do it is I think I had maybe seven good starting pitchers. Uh, so for my other two spots, I picked up, uh, ironically, Tanner Scott, uh, who ended up getting a bunch of saves. But I was picking up when he was the eighth inning guy uh, for a dollar for ratios. Um, and then I, I play matchup. So if, if Scott had seven games that week, then I used him, um, I'm thinking in his case, he was so good. I hung out to him, but uh, I had Jojo Romero at some point, um, just picked up other guy, basically streaming middle relievers from fab. So not wasting roster spots, uh, on my bench. So I'd use five or six of my bench spots, uh, to stream hitters or pick up spec hitters that, or maybe someone was picking in course the following week. So that's how I boosted my hitting. And then middle relievers, if, I, if they have good, they're, they're free. They're a dollar. So, if they had good matchups, I pick them up, put them in my in my in, in my lineup in my pitching spots eight and nine. Uh, and if I if I had enough good starting pitchers, if there's two start pitchers, I only I'd only pick up one middle reliever. So, um, it's how for me punting saves is about using those roster spots to do something else. Um, so you can say, oh, he finished. I think it was eleventh eleventh overall. Imagine if he'd hung on to Halsey or if, if if he'd picked up another closer. But if I'd done that, my hitting wouldn't have been as good. My starting pitching would not have been as good. Uh, I probably wouldn't be able to afford Derek Skubal, uh, because I would have spent my money on closer specs and so on. So um, it probably, I don't think I could have finished higher. Uh, I think at some point I was looking at it, I probably could have moved up to six or seven, but uh, with, with, this, with the number of saves I had, but. Um, I knew I was giving up on the overall, but it, I, I won the league and everything else went great. The streaming hitting went great. I hit on, on those. Um, and then those relievers gave me great ratios. So um, I think that's the way to do it if you're punting. I never do it at a draft table, even in standalone. Um, I, I'm just, I don't know if, the, if it's the experience of playing the, the main event for, what, seven years now and winning it. Um, like the year I won... In June, even in late May, I knew I had a good team that I, that could win. Um, and like you, you kind of like you probably know, like you, even someone who hasn't won, if you've played long enough, if you've won leagues, like you know pretty quickly in season if you have a team that has a chance to win and compete for the overall. So even if if you're not up there in standings, um, like you know just by looking at the team. So I think from from that experience, it's just knowing being willing to move on um, quickly than than most. Um, I'm sorry, quicker than most. It 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 kind of helps me for for that, and it, it worked out last year. Um, there's other times it hasn't worked quite as well, but um, it is what it is. I'm I'm fine with with those with those decisions. Did you you didn't you punt? Did you punt like wins and strikeouts in like a high stakes standalone? Like uh, yeah, I did it in a, in a DC. It was a disaster, and not something I'll do again. Uh, so, so that, that one, well, yes and no, cause, uh, that one is kind of tricky. It was a $5,000 DC that was happening about a week before we go to Vegas. And there's so much attention to it. I knew the board was going to get out and I kind of didn't want to give up, give away, uh, the starting pitchers that I loved. Uh, so my idea was to draft three solid starting pitchers and then a bunch of relievers late. So I figured my hitting was going to be awesome. Uh, those three starting pitchers are going to give me good ratios and then um, add on to that later with, with relievers and the close I drafted. The problem is 
Uh, one of the clothes I drafted is Edwin Diaz. Uh, so I got nothing from him. Uh, I think the other one was, was might have been Classier or Presley, I think. Yeah, Presley was okay. Uh, but the starting pitchers were Verlander, Montgomery, and Lance Lynn. So, the, 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 so the three guys that I thought would solidify my ratios gave me like a 3.5 ERA on average with the two top closers. Um, it just so like even well, obviously with Lance Lynn when he's at like a third of your innings early in the year or like 25 percent of your innings, um, I was at the bottom in wins, strikeouts in the ERA, uh, and WHIP. So I'm like, I, it was the hitting worked out pretty well, but. Um, I mean, I, I, I still think the strategy can work, uh, but everything has to go well. So um, I, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the other categories that I think about when it comes to like potentially premeditative punting are like batting average and stolen bases. Yeah. Um, is that, do you think those are viable? I mean, like any, any strategy is viable if you take the right guys, but like, would you just... Yeah advise anyone who's thinking about some kind of crazy plan like that to, to maybe uh, take a step back? The problem I have with batting average is that you're you're cutting down the the, the pool of players that you can draft by so much. Uh, and it's like it's, in theory, it's a decent idea. And I think in an auction, there's a better chance it works because uh, you can target any player. But if you're at the, I don't know, if you're picking third, and there's only 70 players that you're willing to draft whose batting average is low enough. Well, half of them you're going to have to reach for because they're going to be drafted at the, at, at the other end. So, I mean, you're going to end up reaching for players and you're going to pass on really good value if, if I don't know, Jeff McNeil slips by three rounds. You could say, no, I'm not drafting him because I'm punting batting average. Uh, so in a draft, I, I don't think that that makes sense. Um, speed, Yes. A little bit more because the number of guys who's who steal bases is limited. So you're you're not cutting down player pool as much as you are with batting average. Uh, but still, I mean, it it depends on the league. If you're in a in a really competitive league that you know is one around 115 or 120 points every year, sure you can try it. But if there's a year where it's one at 130 uh, or a league where uh, someone's talking about a main event qualifier where it's winner takes all. Well, if it's winner takes all, there's half the teams in July that say, I don't have a chance. I'm going to stop doing fab. So the top teams are going to be at, I don't know, 130, 125. So if you're punting, you're already down to 135. So I never do it in a format like that. Um, the other, the two other categories I tried punting in season and almost work um, was Yari and Whip. Um, I didn't have, it was a auction championship, I want to say 2019. I was probably 12th or 13th in the league uh, somewhere in, in June. My pitching was terrible. My starting pitchers got her. I was the bottom in the area and whip. I'm like, well, let's try to just pick up all the shitty two-star pitchers, move up in wins and case, um, and then use all my other spots on hitters to stream hitting move up. Uh, I moved up to fourth. I think in, I was in third for maybe a week or two uh, sometime in August. So it almost worked. And I think that's one thing that most people would never even think of doing, but uh, I, I'd still doing it and do it. I do it again. If I have a team that's struggling and the pitching is just terrible. Um, nowadays in 2024, it's harder to do because the two-star pitchers are harder to find that with than they were five years ago. But if you're desperate, you have nothing to lose. I think it's one, 
one option that that can be tried. Yeah, I mean, I... and it's really really fun to do. Just <laughs> picking up the really bad two star pitchers, just putting them in and say, "Hey, you can blow up my ratios. I don't care. I just want you to get nine strikeouts this week." Um, it is fun to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. There's not much that's more daunting than uh, being in a big hole with ERA and WHIP. Um, yeah. But I so I had a team last year where instead of punting ERA and WHIP, what I did was I dropped Alec Manoa around Memorial Day, and then I okay. shot up and won the league. Um, yeah, that's that's another way to do it. <laughs> so that was that was the that was the key to winning that league. There you um, go. Okay, so. I want to ask about auction strategy. Um... We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, I you you had a reply in like a or in a Twitter discussion a couple months ago um, just about the difference between snake drafts and auctions, and uh, you said in an auction you can come up with a list of sixty players you like, group by position and or skills and their average auction dollar value, and then when there's a player you like, you bid, and that was basically your one sentence um, auction strategy advice uh in that twitter conversation and i i love this kind of advice i love um kind of narrowing uh the pool i mean that's like the fun part about auctions anyways is you just you don't have to end up with anyone you don't want um but i have some follow-up questions for you uh how many so like this 
group of 60 players, give or take, you know, how, what does that group look like? You know, like how many first rounders are among the players? Like how many first rounders will you conceivably leave an auction with? Like how many relievers are in play for you? How many catchers are in play? Um, maybe just start with those, yeah. those three questions. So I think the easiest, I'll probably, I'll tell you how I did my auction last year. And I think it'll answer most of those. Um, so the, when I went into my auction last year in Vegas, I had six players um, that were circled, Acuna, Strider, Cole, Romano, uh, JTR, and Will Smith. Um, so Acuna, my two aces, my closer, and my two catchers. Uh, and I budgeted around 180 for those six guys, um, thinking if I go up to 190, I'll cut elsewhere. But uh, And I had one or two backup players for all of those guys. So um, if it wasn't Acuna, I might've been looking at bats. If it wasn't Strider, Cole, Wheeler, whoever else. So um, I had one backup option for those guys, but they were targets that I thought were really undervalued. So if, if I had to pay two or $3 more than their AAV, I was fine with that. Um, luckily, I ended up in an, in an auction where Acuna went, actually most of the guys went lower in their AAV. So I, I had ended up with, with more money to spend, but the way I kind of saw it, if I'm targeting six guys, if I pay three more bucks for one, I might get a discount on another one. So uh, the budget kind of worked out that way. Uh, and then by doing that, I had about 80 bucks left for uh, for 17 players. Um, I had room for about two or three in a 10 to $15 range where the pool was pretty much wide open. And I was just waiting to, whenever I see someone that um, was too cheap, I going. So in that, it ended up being hundred green for 13 bucks. Um, the hitter, I think Ian Happ, I got cheaper than AAB. So basically just a couple of bargains. They're in the middle range where there's dozens of players that go. And just from knowing the player pool, if I see a guy that I like, that's going below his price, then, then I jump on it. Uh, and then I just had a giant list for guys under five or six bucks. Um, different positions, different skills. Um, if, for example, I didn't get a Cunha up top and I got bets, uh then i knew i needed more stolen bases so i i try to get more stolen base guy in in my list um and that final list was probably something like 40 players uh where depending on when players get called and if there's guys called early try to so um if you're doing a more spread the wealth strategy you probably need more backup plans because i find usually it's those guys in the 10 to 25 to 30 dollar range where the price can be 10 in one and 18 in another. Um, so that's why when I said those two or three bargains, I knew, I know like in my, in the list of, I don't know, 50 guys, I kind of like in the middle range, I know there's going to be a bunch of uh, five of them that go for four or five bucks cheaper than their AAV. So I'm trying to get those bargains, have enough money left to, to get those. But um, if, if you're not, if you're doing that for your whole, uh, if you're if you're trying to get ten or fifteen players in that range, you need a bigger list. Yeah, I think you need a list of thirty five guys, forty guys for for that range because the price can can vary uh, widely. It, it can happen that all pitchers in that range go for more than you'd expect. So, um, I think it works mostly if, if if you're if you're trying to get two or three guys, or if you if you know you want a top catcher, then you have a list of two guys, and whichever one has the, the best price, you you get them. But um, I just find it, I know there's some people that go into an auction just with their values for every player. Uh, but I find it hard to adjust on the fly. Maybe someone who's done more auctions than I have has the ability to 
okay, that's a good price. I'll get him. Okay, now I've got a Cooney. I don't need as many steals. So I was kind of thinking guy in the $25 range. Okay, now I can't get that guy. So it's for me, it's harder to adjust on the fly. So I like just the strategy of of narrowing down the player pool, um, knowing who I'm going after. And it doesn't mean I'm – the idea of getting – two or three guys in the middle range means I'm still bidding on most players. So it's hard for others to know exactly w- which players are my targets. And if, if Betts comes up and he's at 35, I'm bidding up to 38. And if I end up getting him for 38 instead of Acuna, then that's fine. I'll, I'll switch up my strategy a little bit, but um, I like having those specific targets with pivots and just narrowing down the player pool. It makes it a lot easier to do an auction and you can be successful with it. Uh, if you've done 20 or 30 auctions in your life and you're fine going in with just a pen and paper and you know all the values then that can work but i think for most people that are scared to do auctions i think what i suggested is kind of good alternative not not to get overwhelmed yeah that all makes a lot of sense um sorry i know i'm talking really long and it kind of kind of no no Hey, you're just you're answering. I gave you three <laughs> questions for the price of one. So you answer them. Um, what? So one of you know I, I think that you know we don't have time to hit on all this. I think that like ten to twenty five dollar range of player is um, you know that's sort of like the tantalizing like breakout range of player um, that it is very tempting to go after, but. Um, I'm guessing that you end up with a lot of players in the kind of one to five dollar range um, that you're pretty excited to get for those prices. Um, yeah. Like how, you know, how do you usually build out that caliber of player? Like, are you usually getting guys that are sort of two or three dollars? Are you ending up with multiple one dollar guys? Do you just. Um... I think last I ended up with about three or four guys for a dollar. Um, especially pitching, I'd rather go four or five or six. Uh, the guys that last year, I mean, the guys we talked about, the Cal Bradish just deal, uh, Steven Matz, where you're not getting the guys that are going at pick 330, 350, but the guys that are going around 250, 275 in a main event, um, that those guys cost four or five bucks. And I think it makes the, it makes the pitching a lot stronger that way. Uh, for hitters, like one of the guys I paid up for last year was Hassan Kim. Uh, there's others that didn't work out as well, but I think if there's players you like, uh, that, that 250 range in ADP is, is a range I usually really like. So, uh, those guys are three or four dollars in auction. So, as many of those guys I can get, um, and then I kind of goes with, um, but depending whether I get two or three bargains in the middle range, whether I get them for 10 or for 15, that's where I kind of adjust the end game. Uh, I might have just planned for two players at one dollar but if i get an extra bargain um at 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 a higher price then i'll i'll move some money around and and figure it out um but yeah i i i like that range the other reason i kind of do it this way um in vegas i do three really high stakes like the five thousand dollar which is the auction then the next day i have a 10 and 15. uh so i'm trying to get players in that in that auction first that um I won't get in my other leagues. Um, so if I'm spreading the wealth, getting a bunch of guys for 15, 20 bucks, those are the guys that you're in in a draft that you don't want to pass up on those guys, but you also don't want too many shares. Whereas around pick 250, if I've got a guy in all my three big leagues, that's fine. 
So um, it's the same thing when I'm playing my my six uh, big players. Uh, I know where I'm picking the other drafts. I knew I was in first pick, so I knew I was going to Acuna. So okay, let's go with Acuna. I knew I wasn't getting I wasn't getting Strider. Okay, so I'll I'll get him. Um, so depending on where I'm picking, I try to diversify that way among my big leagues. Uh, I know it's not something that everyone has to deal with, but it, it is. If, if you're doing like a main in an auction in Vegas um, and the, the auction comes first, you'll know where you're picking the main. So if you're picking 12, try to build an auction strategy where you're getting different players because you don't want the same player, same $40 player in both of your both of your big leagues. Yeah, well, I you know I, I haven't had to worry about uh, mixing that up for my uh, <laughs> I, my ten thousand dollar auction or anything yet, but um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll we'll see. Uh, hopefully I'll see at the uh, Champions League auction next year, um, and I can uh, I'll be an open book if I'm at that table. It'll be easy yeah. to figure out which guys I'm in on. Um, Hey, three years ago, I thought it was. I thought those people were crazy who were spending that much money on fantasy baseball. But I, I, I got lucky and good in 2021. So now I've got a bankroll build up. So I, I end up in 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 those crazy leagues that I never thought were even possible <laughs> four years ago when I when I started uh, looking more at higher stakes leagues. Okay, so I've got. Uh... I put all these questions in a rapid fire tier. Um, we'll see if it's actually that rapid, but um, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> we'll start. We'll start off with the. Uh, how useful do you find projections for players with no MLB experience? So, like the bat, you know, whatever steamer, yeah, whatever public projections. How useful do you find the projections for players with no MLB experience? And then, is there a set of public projections you think does? The best with those because that's where i think you see naturally some pretty big discrepancies with um you know one projection system thinking a guy's like a 88 wrc plus and another projection system thinking a guy's like a 105 yeah um i usually don't end up with those guys um in my numbers the guy that hasn't played in, in mlb i just use steamer uh just because i have steamer data going back 10 years so i can i can test it i can put it in my numbers and i could i know i can stick it in if i need to adjust the value um i will um but usually with my my other metrics there's guys that i'll like and those guys get bumped up whereas the guy with no mlb experience they're just it's just their projection so for me to draft a guy, I need to like him a lot more than Steamer, um, which doesn't happen if the guy has no MLB experience. So um, it's just, it's not, I can see value in their player, in those players, but it's not my strength. So I'll usually say it's Steamer. If, if for whatever reason I'm in a draft where that guy is slipping, then I'll, I'll, I'll draft him. But, um, and in, even in, in DCs, um, I don't know you. You're probably. It, it, yeah, I guess it's a question for you. Like, do you find that the the prospects going around around thirty thirty five are that much better than the ones going around forty five fifty? Like for me, when I look at their AAA numbers and I look at data, I'm like, there's why is this guy going around fifty? Like Christian Encarnacion Strand was one of those guys last year where I was taking my early DCs in around forty eight because no one was talking about him, and then in spring training people kind of started noticing he got pushed up. Um, but like him compared to a Kyle Manzardo last year, who was going, I think around round 30, when I looked at him, like these guys are basically the same. So I'll, I'll get my old 
boring guys in round 30, 35, and then take some shots later. But I don't know if that's because I don't know prospects and I, I kind of noticed that, or if it's just, it's just, it, I guess people looking at the, at the market price. Oh, well, this is the price for this guy. What about in, what about in season? Like, are you ever looking like, or, I mean, I know you're not necessarily the guy who's contending for Ellie de la Cruz's services or whatever, cause you are, you know, saving your, budget um but i mean are you ever looking at those like and putting real value in into what they they say i'll usually i'll usually use steamer and in season that's kind of what's going to drive and um for players i want to bid up on like last i got i got ellie in once in one um in one league i got matt mclean in most leagues matt mclean i went nuts i was pulling up uh milb video and timing his his time from from home to second base to seeing what his sprint speed is going to be so i was like i'll do some some weird stuff for <laughs> for prospects that i'm that i'm thinking about bidding uh but like someone who just looked at at steamer for mclean would have bid on him uh because most people are just looking at his first week that was terrible but those that focus that looked at projections they're like well if this guy sticks around he's He's going to turn around at some point. So, uh, yeah, in season, I'll, I'll look mostly at Steamer. I'll look at the bat as well. But I do, I kind of like, I I think Steamer might be a little bit more aggressive, but I, I like their their conversion scale better, I believe, from, from minor league stats. To, um, I, I know I know Derek uh, Cardi does great work and um, looking at StatCast stuff for, for players that make it to MLB, but I, I do like Steamer's conversion rate better, I think, for, for minor leaguers. Okay, uh, next rapid fire question: <laughs> Which which non catcher who's going in the top two hundred fifty picks has the lowest projected batting average um, per your specific projections, not public projections? Like, which yeah. player going in the top two fifty has the lowest projected batting average that you're expecting when you draft them that you're willing to roster this season? So I have Kosh Warbrat at two twelve. Uh, but I think for me, his ADP is a little bit too high right now, so I'm not drafting him. Uh, be fine if he slipped a little bit. The one I'm considering drafting the next is uh, Varsho at uh, batting average. I have him at 230, and he's one because of the other skills I, I'd consider drafting. Yeah, that's a great answer. And uh, See, I can a, do rapid fire. That was a rapid quick. fire. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah, Varsho, I, I, I like it. I like... Uh, Plus, he's a Blue Jay. It's always my my tiebreaker. If I, if <laughs> if I have two players that I close that are close, uh, either a Blue Jay or a Canadian, I'll, I'll bump them up a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, um, which is which is the starting pitcher who's going in the top two hundred fifty picks, who has the highest projected WHIP that you'd be willing to roster this season? Um, so this might sound a little bit like cheating because their whip was lower last year, but by my projection, I have Kikuchi at 1.36 and Christopher Sanchez at 1.37. Um, I'd be fine drafting those by my projections because they have other skills and they're going late enough that, um, I'm fine with it. Earlier targets, uh, Dylan C's, I have them at 1.28. Um, I, I like C's, I just don't like the team context. So I need him to get traded or to slip a couple of rounds for me to really consider drafting him. Yeah, I I don't dig that team context either. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, they, they were bad when they had players that were skilled and seemed pretty good, but it just 
now the roster is a disaster and the the just the team spirit and everything else just it's it's what it's been before and it's just that uh, i don't want anything well, to do with it at least they hired a guy from outside the org with no connection to the owner and no none of that so it'll be a completely new oh wait no they didn't do that um so uh all right um which or no uh we got we got rid of those uh but yeah i mean that's so everyone one three six for kikuchi is what um phil's projection yeah system has so um during the season what is your ideal hitter pitcher split on a seven man bench so i'll start at five or six pitchers and one or two hitters as the season progresses it'll depend on how how the team is doing but i'll usually lean towards more hitters my my idea is to get starting pitching early to roster it and then come may i'll know which ones are good which ones are bad which ones are hurt and i'll drop those guys and then switch to hitters and think you can start the year with two hitters on your bench or even just one if you have some multi-position and then if you get two injuries then you don't have a choice you pick up more hitters but if my team stays healthy i'll, I'll try and keep at least five pitchers on my bench for as long as i can and uh what about so in a fifth this is a i'm adding this in so you're not prepped for this one but uh <laughs> in a I think I asked you this last year, but in like a 15 team league, um, how many relievers are you ideally rostering and how many of those relievers have the closer role? Um, usually I'll usually don't like keeping a reliever that uh, I'm not sure has the job at least early in the year. Cause I prefer stashing those starting pitchers. Um, so last year I drafted one closer with, with one or two specs. Um, if they don't have the job by mid April, I'm dropping those specs. Uh, so at least for, for most of, say, from mid-April to end of May, if I can have five starting pitchers on my bench, ideally, ideally all healthy, uh, I'm happy and I can play matchups. And, and then by the end of May, if, if the ones that suck, they're, they're gone, or the ones that are hurt, I'll find other ones. But uh, that, that's kind of the ideal um, strategy for me. Okay, speaking of playing the matchups, um, I want you to rank the following as options for your sp3 so whoever your third best starting pitcher is rank these options for a potential start so against the dodgers um doesn't matter if it's home or away just you know that you know it's against the dodgers lineup um at the rockies at the reds and if you want to mention like at the Red Sox or anything like that that you think might be yeah. better in one of these, um, that's fine too. But just rank those options uh, right. for your SP3 to go up against. Right. Well, the, the worst last year by far was the was at the Braves. And I think I was sitting everyone, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe even my ace uh, at the Braves. Uh, but in the ones you listed, um, the Dodgers were the worst, then the Rockies, uh, at the Rockies, then at the Reds. Uh, so you kind of already ranked them there for me. Um, and I, I probably put at the Red Sox right after the Dodgers. Um, so worse. So Red Sox, then yeah, worse than, yeah. than Great America. worse than the Rockies and worse than the Reds. Um, I think the Rockies at home were like seventh or eighth in, in Woba last year. So it, they're hard, but I think their, their team is getting worse every year. Um, yeah. 
if they're healthy at the start of the year with if if Brian is is ever healthy, then it might be a little bit different. But um and one of the reasons I think it's the Reds kind of misconception. Um Great American, Great American Ballpark is great for hitters. There's a lot of home runs, but in terms of of runs, um, it's third behind cores and Fenway. In terms of hits, it's seventh, according to that's the stat gas park factors uh rolling from the last three years. So uh, there's a ton of home runs there, so it's great when your hitters are playing there. Uh, but in terms of pitching, we're looking more at runs and, and hits for for whip. Um, and the Reds lineup isn't as good as, as others. Uh, I'm not. I'll, I'll gladly start my SP3 there if he's, if, he's, if he's a good enough one. Just looking ahead to 2024, do you think at Atlanta or at the Dodgers is worse? I think at Atlanta because I think the park is worse. And that, I mean... One one of the things with the with the with the Braves, they were healthy all last year, and their healthy players play 160 games. Like they never, you're never getting an easy. Uh, you also, Braves you also had like just you had two career years on the same team. Um, yeah, Olson and Acuna. Yeah, and Ozuna, kind right. of. Oh, that, yeah, was, that was a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that that lineup was pretty much stacked top to bottom and with the, combined with the park uh at least last year what i remember like in terms of my park factors it, it was by park and team factors were by far the worst uh dodgers with Otani is can get there but i don't think the bottom of their lineup is is as strong as as the braves um and they usually they i mean they're not resting freeman and bets but the at the bottom, they're platooning more and they're resting guys when they have to. So I think it, and the, the the Braves, I think they still scare me a little bit more. Yeah, I, I remember um, I yeah, I benched I think I benched Joe Ryan going into Atlanta before yeah. Joe Ryan kind of like he kind of slipped up, I guess, over the last two months or whatever. But um that's a that's almost as fun as making the right like streaming start is like making the right like it is yeah you want or sp2 bench um and then especially if they've if the, if you look at their started percentage and like only six percentage of teams that had the guy actually benched him for that one like yeah that, uh, that's always fun and uh, one of the things like uh, i think the gap between the, the top teams and, and the bottom teams is bigger than it was four or five years ago. And that's kind of goes back to, what I was talking about trying to have more starting pitches on my bench. Um, if, if you can't start Joe Ryan at the Braves, you need someone else on your bench with a good matchup. Uh, so it's, if, I mean, if, if the teams are closer together and aren't really any matchups that scare you for your top three or four pitchers, then you don't need five guys on your bench. But I think that the way the game is going, and I think what we'll see this year is there's going to be teams where, you don't want your SP3 playing. So uh, I think you. I, it's one of the reasons why I like having more pitches on my bench, but you you need good ones because even against against Oakland, you can't start anyone. <laughs> so some really bad pitches, especially in the 15-team league. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point, though. I, I mean, just the uh, – like I think matchups in general um, for pitchers and, and hitters, but I mean, I don't think we talk enough about um, – just making the right matchup play uh, every week because yeah. picking on those bad teams with the right caliber of pitcher yeah. is, a, is a pretty lethal strategy. Um, 
Okay. Uh, let's see. Do you ever roster long term or over? Do you ever long term roster Rockies hitters who you always bench when they're on the road? Like where you not a guy that yeah. you picked up and then you're just like, well, I, I know he's got this one road series and I'll bench him for that, but a guy that you actually plan on rostering for months while always benching them on the road. So I did it uh, late last year. Uh, once we get to August, I usually have more hitters on my bench. So I had Brenton Doyle on my bench. Um, Doyle had actually picked up earlier, and I, I looked at my my stats last year. McMahon and Doyle I used for about 80% of their at-bats uh, when I had them on my lineup. So that's about 100% at home and about 60% on the road. So that's kind of the number I'm comfortable with if I'm keeping a guy for, for months. Uh, once we get into August um, and Doyle became more of a streaming guy, I had the room to keep him and just start him at home and bench him on the road. Um, but yeah, they, it, you need either like a larger, I always talk NFB because that's what I play with, with seven men bench. But if you have a 10 men bench, it, it's something you can afford to do for, for longer peers or in a DC, for example. But, um, I wouldn't draft someone and use them from April to September thinking, Hey, I'm going to be strong and draft this, this Rockies guy and just start him at home. It's just not realistic. Yeah. Um, not something I've attempted in the NFPC either, but uh, yeah, I mean, like Brendan Rogers is the guy that maybe comes to mind. Um, yeah. Like early in the season, I haven't looked at the Rockies schedule, but um, just cause like second base gets pretty rough in my opinion at a certain point, yeah. but I still don't even know if I like Rogers enough to, to do that. Um, the other thing is that like cores in April and May isn't cores. So if you do it at the draft for two months, you're getting bad matchups in the row and in a home park that isn't as, as great as, as you expect it to be. But if if you like the player and you like, I mean, you have to look at it. You project the full season. If you, if you like the overall numbers better than you do any other player, then if you end up having the opportunity to, to sit him on the road, then great. It's, it's a bonus. But you have to be kind of like I did. Like McMahon was an earlier pick, but um, he was kind of that range of guy where he's – better than the alternative so if if the 40 percent of the time i was able to sit him on the road great it's a bonus but you, you you have to take the player and roster him based on um i'm gonna start this guy um all year pretty much okay so uh last rapid fire question before we get back to our exciting uh post 380p sleeper series um which Oakland A's players would you be willing to draft in the main event? And I've I've done some legwork for you here. I've got all the Oakland A's players with an ADP inside the top 550, uh, and you can tell me which ones you would be willing to draft in the main event. Esther um, Ruiz, Zach Geloff are the only two guys going inside the top 230. Uh, Mason Miller, Shea Langoliers going in the – 230 to 260 range brent rooker going at 305 on average jp sears 393 uh ryan noda joe boyle seth brown are going in the 400s tyler soderstrom and jordan diaz are going in the early 500s so which which oakland a's players would you be willing to draft at the main event 
So Ruiz, no way, unless he slips by like 100 picks. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe even more than that. Geloff, I'm not as high on as others, so I don't think I'll be rostering him. Uh, Mason Miller at his current AP, ADP for me makes no sense. Uh, if you're getting a cl- we don't even know if he's going to close, but if he is, it's the Oakland A's, and I don't trust it. Uh, Langoliers is probably one I'm most likely to draft. I think he's going to... Decent range for catchers where I often like to get my catch, and I think he's good enough. Um, he's going to play a lot. Um, Rooker, if I need power, uh, but I, I kind of have a bad taste in my mouth about, about Rooker. Uh, when I was telling you about my my late DC targets uh, last year, I, I'd done some research, some math. I had him. I had a list of maybe 20 guys, and he's one of the ones that I had circled for around 49.50. Uh, but I'm like, ah, it's Brent Rooker. He's nobody. I'm not going to draft him. Uh, so I didn't get him anywhere, even though he should have been one of my targets. So, um, now he's going much earlier if, if, I mean, if I need power, sure. But I, I don't, I didn't like that last year they were platooning him at times, uh, in a year where he was their all-star, uh, he went to the all-star game. He was by far their best player and you're platooning him. It, it, it was just weird. It made no sense. So, um, probably not. And then the pitcher's. Um, Sears, no, I think they're just not going to win enough games. I, I just don't want to bother with it. It's you're, you're just, you talk about, um, Ruiz who kills you in, in pretty much everything except stolen bases. Well, Sears kills you in wins, in my opinion. So, um, it's, if, if I'm taking a shot in that range at, at pitchers, I'm, I'm going to go for someone on, on a better team who at least if he performs any hits, at least has a, a much higher ceiling. So, uh, Shea Langoliers and maybe Brent Rooker are uh, yeah. your answers. So like one, and a, one and a half Oakland A's are, are in play for, for Phil. Um, so, just keep that in mind if you're drafted next to him uh, when, it, when it comes time for uh, Shea Langoliers. Um, yeah, okay. So, yeah, the story we I don't, know. I don't think you're drafting Ruiz either, are you? And no, and like you, the other big problem, like obviously he sucks everywhere except for speed. But then you, if you take him at 130, you have to. It's like a challenging build the rest of the way to not end up with like a surplus of stolen bases. Like, it is right. Like you, what did you do with your earlier picks? Like did you take? Like Corbin Carroll or Acuna or like how like how many stolen bases do you already have? And then you have to make sure that you get like you have them for sixty, and you need to make sure that you don't end up with like twenty five too many steals. So yeah. yeah, just a lot of problems. He's the kind if 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 I was gonna if if for whatever reason my my system loved him this year, he's the kind of player I target in an auction where you kind of call him out first, you right. bid on him. If you get him, then you adjust the rest of your strategy around him. Um, if you don't get him, then you do a normal build. I think that's the one way we can kind of roster him. And I mean, the reason he's going there is because people get tempted by, by the power bats and like, oh, I need stolen bases. I'll take Ruiz. And he's going to fix everything. But uh, it can't be like a plan going to the draft because if someone else is the same strategy, you miss out on them and then you're in trouble everywhere. Yeah, I, it's almost you're raising your hand and saying like, I fucked up and yeah. don't have enough stolen bases. <laughs> Um, basically do you do, do you feel the same about um definitely a i'd much rather roster this specific player but like luisa rise with the marlins it, like 
similar challenges to me yeah. from a roster construction standpoint. Yeah, especially like I, I used to like Arias when he's going around pick 300, uh, where you're kind of just taking a shot. Hey, I, I need a little bit boob of boost in, in batting average if I if I, if I can I can drop in a couple months. But where he's going now around 150, it's with, I mean, I've got him for 10 home runs and seven stolen bases. Um, and you're not getting many RBIs as well. So you kind of, it's, it's the same thing where if you take him, then your strategy for the rest of your draft kind of completely changes. I think he's a little bit easier though, because, um, there's a lot of, um, power speed outfielders usually in past pick 200, uh, like the past few years, there, there was like guys like, um, Trent Grisham were going there. Um, Lane Thomas like, kind of fit that mold as well. Um, like a Tyler I mean, like, O'Neill this year can, yeah, Barsho and like Jose right. Siri and guys like that. Yeah. Um, so you, you can kind of say, okay, I'm taking rise because I'm getting good value, and then say, okay, I, I can go for for the, those power speed guys um, a little bit later. Uh, but then again, you it's I've said this few times. You're cutting down the player pool, which I don't like doing. I like to be able to jump on a value when I see a value, rather than saying, oh, I need this specific category. And then if Arias gets injured in like right. May, then you have all these guys that aren't going to hit for high average on your team. Um, right. The difference, at least with Arias, is that in terms of batting average, um, out of like four, yes, to like, I don't know, 310, 320 average. Uh, but out of, um, I don't know, what is it, like 6,000 at bats? Like it, it's not as big a percentage as Ruiz like being – 40% of your stolen bases. So at least it's it's not as bad, which is why I'd be willing to do it if 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 it fit. But I your your point is right that you're if you if you're going too extreme after that, you almost need a surplus in batting average. And then if he stays healthy, then you can adjust in fab in season. But it's not ideal. I, I need value um compared to where he's going now. Okay, so here we are. It's time to get back into the post 380p sleeper series uh covered uh most of the positions i think we got like maybe two left uh this week it's going to be shortstop week so uh phil and i i gave phil a long list of shortstop eligible players who are going uh after pick uh 300 on average in uh 15 team draft and hold leagues and uh we're each going to pick one shortstop that we think is the best value going outside the top 300. So, uh, Phil, you can go first. All right. I'll give you two answers. I'll give you my answer and I'll give you my systems answer. Um, so my numbers at this point, they love Ahmed Rosario, um, where he's going, but in my DC that I'm doing right now, I just passed on him, uh, just because I'm telling he's signs. I'm just worried that the projections I have right now are too generous on the playing time, but, if he does end up getting a full-time job, um, just in terms of pure skills, um, I do like him. Um, until I see that, the only one that it kind of looks, kind of stands out is Orlando Arcia, uh, just in terms of playing time. But like in my DC, current DC, I made a point, just highlighted, make sure you get your shortstop by pick 300 and I end up having, having three of them. I I want, if you get one at the top, you can afford to have two, but I'm really trying to get them early just because there's so many good shortstops that for one of these guys to get a full-time job. um, I, I mean, 
you know a lot of these younger players better than I do. So I'm curious to hear your answer. But uh, from my perspective of of liking liking old and boring guys, uh, no one kind of stood out to me. So it makes all the sense in the world to me for the Rays to sign um, Ahmed Rosario. Yeah. Um, um, like I just don't know why they haven't already signed him. Like, what are they waiting for? Um, so if like the Rays signed him tonight after we're done recording. Is a Rosario like a guy that should be going in the top, like, like in the two fifty range? Um, I think so because they don't have. I don't believe they have a short sum of the lineup that hits left-handed, right? So if their plan is to playing every day, then yeah, definitely, I, I, I'd look at him at least the top two fifty. I think so. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I like the Rosario call. Um. My. Answer for second base was the over Piguero. So, like, I'm not okay. going to uh, recycle that answer, but that would be my answer again here since he's okay. dual eligible. Um, really like uh, Piguero uh, as like a 2020 threat. And I think he's definitely their best second baseman. Uh, but I will give a unique answer. Um, I do, I like Kyle Farmer more since the, um, yeah. the Polanco trade. Um, but I'm actually going to go with the last guy I listed on the sheet here, uh, Daryl Hernandez with the A's. Um, the A's are, are obviously very bad, like we kind of just covered. Uh, and I think Hernandez can go like 15-10-ish um, okay. with, a, with a pretty solid batting average. Uh, now, I thought um, – I thought Jordan Diaz was going to be a, a bit better than he was last year for the A's, kind of under similar logic that he just had a, a, a decent enough hit tool and no one really standing in his way. But uh, Hernandez is actually like a, a good enough defensive shortstop that I think he could play there, um, whereas Diaz is – like if Diaz could play a good shortstop, um, he'd be much more interesting, but he's kind of like a corner guy without corner power. So um, I like Daryl Hernandez. Um, he had a uh, – 10.7% strikeout rate at AAA last year, 9.5% walk rate. Um, and he he has uh, some decent kind of under-the-hood stuff, or at least he's got more impressive – or he hits the ball a little bit harder, I think, than uh, his, his surface stats might indicate. Uh, he had a 105.4 90th percentile EV uh, last year at AAA, 112 max. Um, so I, I think, like – like upside of like a 275 hitter with like 10 homers and 15 yeah. steals is kind of what I see with their harness. See, I never heard of him, but I pulled up his fan page and I like it just to, just in terms of like, even um, steamer has him projected for um, I guess if, if I make it to 600 plate appearances, uh, he becomes about a 1.8 war player uh, mainly because of his defense. So um that's, I mean, I, I think that's kind of what you want with the late shortstop, a guy who can get in there with his defense and then you rack up the other stats at the same time. So, But I can confirm that this is definitely the shallowest position like you sort of alluded to yeah. of all the positions we've covered here. Uh, the post 300 options at shortstop are the weakest. I can say that pretty confidently. Um, and that makes sense if you kind of think about it, like you said. Um, so, yeah, I think that is a position where if you kind of are deciding between shortstop and another position with a pick, I would I'd get shortstop out of the way if you can. Yeah. 
All right, Phil, uh, this was great. Um, I appreciate you staying as long as you did. Um, anything you want to add before I let you go? No, I just want to say you're good at this. You get me, you get me talking. So I, I'm, I'm giving up. I'm giving more away, and I, it's the podcast I love the most. And I'm doing it with with a friend like you. That uh, it just becomes a natural conversation, and I, I love podcasts like that. So uh, other than that, um, spoke about the Champions League earlier. So uh, if anyone has any questions about it, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to Toby uh, on my Twitter and the Discord. I'm uh, most places. So um, yeah, that's about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, man. Um... I, I think I'll be, I, I had a great time as you can attest at your birthday dinner last year. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I'll be making it this year. I think I'm flying out on uh Friday morning. Um, yeah. But uh, are you going to be there? You would invite by now, but that's what I heard that, that you weren't, you weren't going to be there for, uh, for the weekend. So I, I didn't send you your, your, your invite. <laughs> are you going to be there like Wednesday or Thursday at all? Yeah, I get there uh thursday during the day so uh we nice. should see each other for at least thursday night yeah all right well i'll see you thursday night in vegas and uh i'll have another episode with a another uh, main event overall champion uh next week